Well, it's my pleasure and privilege to welcome to our pulpit this morning my friend, Jonathan Womack. Jonathan is a practicing lawyer in Crete, has his own practice there. He was a minister of the law, realized he needed to also be a minister of the gospel, so he is seeking that now. Uh, he is a fellow presbyter with me in the Presbyterian Church in America. He's an elder at uh, Crete Church PCA. You may know it as Crete Reformed Church. I am actually his mentor in his seminary studies. So he sits at my feet and learns lots of things. No, uh, Jonathan t- teaches me more than I teach him. He challenges me. I'm always struck by the giftedness that God has Uh, given to him for the ministry, for gospel ministry, his passion to teach God's word. As his uh, mentor, though, I I rarely, this will actually be the first time I sit in on one of his sermons live. So that was really my strategy, brother, was to get you here so that I could take in a sermon. And uh, he brought his family here, his wife Katie. Uh, Mariah is eight, Benjamin is six, Adeline is five, and Jonah is Three. So uh, I am humbled to, to know him and to be called his friend. As I said, he teaches me much more than I teach him. Let's welcome Jonathan Womack to our pulpit this morning. First Church. Everybody hear me? Okay, very good. So today, my text is going to come from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. Be reading from the New International Version. And therein, the reading is this, I'll wait till we hear some pages turning, so I'll give us some time to actually find it. Give me the thumbs up when you've got it. Okay, Hebrews chapter seven, verses 26 through 28. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word, how it guides us, confronts us, and points us to your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you use me as an instrument to do the same thing, and you be glorified through the proclamation of your word today and everywhere else amongst the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So it's useless. It's all useless. The priests, the temple worship, the sacrifices, they're all useless because Jesus now speaks for us. The title of my sermon is Jesus, Our Superior Intercessor. Jesus, Our Superior Intercessor. And the theme that I want us to pay attention to throughout this text is simply Jesus speaks for us. If you don't remember anything else from my sermon, just remember those words. Jesus speaks for us. So the temple worship that the Jewish Christians were accustomed to with the priests and the sacrifices is now obsolete. It's done with. Kaput. Over. Finito. Why? Because Jesus now speaks for us. An intercessor is the same as a mediator or a go-between. So two parties need an intercessor when their communication has broken down due to some kind of conflict. Our conflict with God consisted of us rebelling against him. Israel, just as us, needed an intercessor to convince God to not only refrain from destroying us with his righteous wrath, but also to save us from his wrath and provide us with a holiness that is acceptable in God's sight. So God set up the Aaronic priesthood headed by a high priest to be Israel's visible intercessor between himself and his people. Israel's high priest was the only individual who could step into God's presence without being killed by his glory and offer up an animal sacrifice to atone for all of Israel's sin. We know this as Yom Kippur. But with the coming of Jesus, this system was no longer needed. And the reason why is because the Aaronic priesthood ultimately pointed to Jesus, our high priest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Aaronic priesthood. But Jesus is not just that. Jesus is vastly superior to the Aaronic priesthood. And Jesus, as our superior high priest, speaks for you. This is what the writer of Hebrews preached throughout the book of Hebrews, and particularly in this chapter, to the newly converted Jewish Christians. We're talking about Jewish men and women who for years were used to Jewish priests speaking to God on their behalf through the sacrificial temple system. These folks have now been brought to faith in Jesus and been told that Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole Aaronic priesthood, the high priest, and that he is the sacrificial lamb of God to whom those animal sacrifices pointed. This gospel, this good news, would be a tough pill to swallow and to fully embrace it would come at a great cost. To completely abandon the priests would be to abandon your family, your tradition, your faith. By the way, it's no coincidence that the same thing happens today to true believers who fully embrace the same gospel. After all, the priest had been the people's visible representative to God for thousands of years. The priest and his sacrificial role were the tangible proof 
of seeing your sins dealt with. You, you, you felt the warm-blooded animal as you walked it along to be slaughtered. You could see it breathing as you passed it along to the priest. You could hear the sound of it dying and witness the smell of its burning carcass. You would possibly even see blood remnants lying around the camp and know that the priest sprinkled the blood of that dead animal on Yahweh's mercy seat to atone for the sins that you committed that day, that week, that month, and that year. Also during this time in Jerusalem, you would have seen the same thing with Jesus. You would have seen him being carried along by a Roman guard, walking up to that hill called Calvary. You would have heard the loud groanings he belted out of his mouth as he struggled to breathe on that cross. And you would have saw him take his last breath and declare, it is finished. You would see the combination of blood and water that rushed out of his chest as the Roman soldier pierced him in his side. The difference is, is that Jesus' blood not only covers the sins you committed in the past, but the sins that you would commit in the present and in the future. However, Jesus left. He ascended back to heaven. And you know what stayed? The temple for at least about another 30 to 40 years before it was destroyed. You know who was at that temple? The priests. And you know what those priests were doing? Offering sacrifices. With Jesus being gone and the Christian movement seemingly over, there were Jewish Christians who, well, just left Christianity. And there were other Jewish Christians who were on the fence and tempted to do the same thing. In our text, the writer to the Hebrews is targeting both groups and seeking to persuade them that it's all useless. The priests, temple worship, sacrifices, they're all useless because now Jesus, our superior high priest, speaks for you. To truly believe this, those Jewish Christians needed to be presented with something superior in order for them to lay aside the habit of years of going to their neighborhood priests. So the writer to the Hebrews lays out the superiority of Jesus as our high priest in comparison to the Aaronic priesthood. In our three verses, we learn that Jesus is superior in his person, he is superior in his sacrifice, and he is superior in his appointment compared to the Aaronic priesthood. So let's look in verse 26 of our text and let's see how Jesus is superior in his person. So the writer's summary of Jesus' superior person is described by the following five qualities in this verse. In fact, the first four qualities were qualities that God said that the Aaronic priests ought to show as Israel's representatives to God. But unlike Jesus, all the priests put together could not embody these qualities at the same time and without end, especially the fifth quality. Let's look at the qualities in verse 26. They describe Jesus as holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I originally took my text from the ESV. It may be a little different from the NIV, 
but it's the same in essence. So just, just stay with me here. So let's look at the first quality, holy. Uh, Pastor Dan stole all my steam when he was doing his uh, liturgy beforehand about holiness. And I wanted to throw my shoe at him to tell him to save some for me. But I'm going to try and I'm just going to do the best I can here. So this word in the original language means pure intrinsic holiness. Meaning Jesus' holiness is just as natural to him as your eye color is to you or my good looks to me. Wasn't expecting that. Okay. So this natural holiness describes one who is undefiled from sin or free from wickedness, meaning there was never a time in which Jesus's nature ever came close to being contaminated by sin. The best example of this is oil and water. The two just don't mix. This quality speaks of one who is not merely outwardly righteous, but one who is both without sin, inwardly and outwardly. Jesus is in a divine class all by himself with two along, with two others along with him. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. This is something that cannot be said of the Aaronic priests. The remaining four qualities simply expand upon Jesus' extrinsic holiness. His innocence means that he was without fraud. Unlike the priests, Jesus would never take a bribe or have a guilty spirit because he succumbed to the wills of sinful people. Remember what Aaron did when he was with the people in the wilderness? They overwhelmed him because they wanted to create a a statue to their God. And there was nothing that he could do. Jesus would not succumb to the wills of sinful people. Jesus is unstained, meaning that he, like the priest offered sacrifices were to be, was always ceremonially clean. Jesus is separated from sinners, meaning that he can be in the midst of a sea of people, casting out demons, healing the sick, restoring the blind, and absorbing the wrath of the almighty God, yet remain pure. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is exalted in the heavens. No priest is ever described as being exalted in the heavens. As such, Jesus is superior in his person compared to the ironic priests, and Jesus speaks for you. Well, what does exalted in the heavens mean? It means that he is currently sitting at the right hand of God in a status of honor, having successfully completed his task. What was Jesus's task? Offering up his life as a superior sacrifice for our sins. And this spot is a great place for us to stop and have a digression into the Westminster Confession. Question 25 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us, that Jesus performed the office of a priest in his once offering up himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. So let's focus on the one phrase in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice. In his once offering up himself a sacrifice. In this one phrase, we have frequency, 
agency and sacrifice. Jonathan, what are you talking about? I know somebody was thinking that. It's okay, I said it for you. Frequency deals with how many times you do something. How many offering attempts did it take for Jesus to totally do away with people's sins? One. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Jesus did it in one try. Somebody help me brag on Jesus. Somebody help me brag on Jesus. Agency deals with the one who is doing something. In this question, who is acting as our high priest? Jesus. Before the Aaronic priests could offer up the sacrifice, they were obligated to offer up a sacrifice for their own sins, just as they would for the other people's sins. Jesus, unlike the Aaronic priests, never sinned. At night, uh, during our children's catechism, uh, we ask our kids, did Jesus ever sin? And they say, no, he lived a sinless life. And that's a reminder for us. Sacrifice is the thing being acted upon. Who is being sacrificed? Jesus. The law instructed the priests to use certain animals as sacrifices to take away the people's sins. But the animals could not fully and finally take away sins. Jesus, as the sacrifice, did fully and finally take away sins. Jesus' sacrifice speaks for you. Jesus' question 25 shows us is both the offering priest and the dying sacrifice offered once to God to take away the sins of the people. Well, well, well how was Jesus appointed to the position of high priest? He was appointed by oath, by oath. Look at it in verse 28. See how Jesus is superior in his appointment. The writer sets up yet another sharp contrast between the Aaronic priests and Jesus. This time the contrast centers on the superiority of his appointment. God appointed priests by law or oath. By law, I mean the Mosaic law, which so happens to be the first five books of the Bible. There God decreed that Aaron's descendants would all be priests for Israel. But as our writer states, Aaron's descendants, the priests, were appointed in weakness. They were appointed in weakness. Well, what was the priest's weakness? Their weakness was a weakness that's common to all men. Sin. Because of sin, they eventually got old and died. That's a consequence of the fall. Death. The day you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. Because of their eventual deaths, the writer tells us that the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office as priests. This reminds me um, of that scene from uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anybody seen it? I guess I'm, I'm the only one. Everybody else in here is holy. So when, <laughs> when the old grail knight is sitting with his back turned to Indiana Jones, uh, and then he, in one motion, he, he, hears, he hears Indy, and then in one motion, he reaches for his sword, and he swings it across Indy's neck. 
and, and, and he misses. And then he, he reaches up with the sword over his head to strike one final blow to, to, to strike Indy down. But in the motion, he falls backwards on the altar where he was reading that great old book. The knight says to Indy in his classical English James, uh, King James vernacular, I knew you'd come. My strength has left me. I like to think that that old grail knight is a picture of those weary old priests who are serving nonstop. And then Jesus walks in and the priests hand over their priestly accoutrements to Jesus just like that knight handed over his sword to the one who has vanquished the ironic priesthood. But, but, but Jonathan, um, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus did die. Thank you, Captain Obvious. However, he did not die because of his own sin, but he died for the sins of his people. More than that, he was raised from the dead and is at the right hand of God interceding for us, as Paul tells us in Romans 8. Since our Redeemer lives, so does his high priestly intercession. As one commentator stated, Jesus' priesthood is forever because it can never be improved upon. <laughs> Folks, there is no Jesus 2.0. Being already perfect, it never reaches the point when it gives way to a better. Jesus permanently speaks for you because he continues forever. The other weakness was the law by which the priests were appointed, the law. The writer tells us that the law was weak because it made nothing perfect. That's right, folks. God demands perfection. On judgment day, there are no deed-weighing scales. The goal of the Christian life is not simply to spend your years on this planet trying to do more good things than bad things. That sort of religion is man-centered in that you become the measure of achieving a right standing before God. But the law was not meant to perfect those who followed it. Rather, the law was meant to reveal God's holy character, to make us aware of our sins, and consequently to point our focus from ourselves to Jesus. For the law's weakness, the law's weaknesses, the writer says, that Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant. That is because Jesus was not appointed our high priest by the law, which made nothing perfect. Jesus was appointed our high priest by the word of the oath. The word of the oath. The word of the oath was the only other way to be appointed a priest. The oath is only as good as the greater authority by whom one swears. Uh, when I was a kid, whenever I wanted my friends to really believe what I said, you know what I said? I swear to God, or I swear on my mother, um, God's going to forgive me for making those statements. Um, I already had the insurance of pardon. Thank you, Dan. So I'm good. But that's what we said in order to make someone believe what we said. So I'm going to need a little church participation for this one section. I'm going to say the name Melchizedek. And if you guys could just say who, because you're already thinking it when I said Melchizedek then that would be helpful. So let's give it a try. So Melchizedek was the only other man in scripture who was said to be appointed by oath. Melchizedek is a strange character in scripture. 
He made his first mysterious cameo in Genesis 14 and is called Priest of God Most High. His name means King of Righteousness and King of Peace. He greets Abraham with bread and wine, bread and wine, and then blesses Abraham after Abraham's battle. Bread and wine? He meets Abraham with bread and wine. Abraham then pays him a tenth of all his spoils of war. Then Melchizedek appears again in Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm that foreshadows Jesus. There it says, Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You, meaning Jesus, are a priest forever after, you, after the order of Melchizedek. It is this psalm that the writer to the Hebrews emphasizes over and over and primarily because Yahweh is the oath maker in the psalm. Yahweh swears an oath by his name since there is none greater than him by the duration of Jesus' priesthood, which he describes will be forever, forever, my Sandlot fans. So don't let the Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek language make you think that Melchizedek, to make you think that Melchizedek is superior to Jesus. In verse 3 of this chapter, the writer says that Melchizedek resembled the son of God, meaning that Melchizedek is a picture of Christ and not the other way around. Earlier I said that an oath was only as good as the greater authority by whom one swears. The Aaronic priests were appointed by the law in weakness. Jesus was appointed by the oath. And his appointment was with the power of an indestructible life. Jesus, your indestructible high priest, speaks for you. Okay, so I know you're, you're wondering, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do? This is the so what part of the, of the sermon. Your superiority complex has blinded you from seeing the superiority of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Your superiority complex has blinded you from seeing the superiority of Jesus Christ. The challenge of a superiority complex is that it manifests itself in so many different ways. In the writer's time, these Jewish Christians were persuaded that Judaism was the dominant system because it had time on its side, uh, and there was no way that Christianity could compete with Judaism's traditional trappings. In our time, the ego is the dominant system the ego. We have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image that we see in the mirror. It is self that we hold supreme. In doing so, we have created artificial hierarchies based off of identity, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. We subscribe to the priests of culture, who are many in number and promised by the sacrifice of your own flesh to make you perfect. These culture priests stand daily 
offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, keeping you and I in the same sin cycle wherein they themselves are weak and the sacrifices they offer will never make us perfect. That's because the ego would never sacrifice the very thing that needs to die itself. You see, the ego is intrinsically sinful just as much as Jesus is intrinsically holy. Paul says it best, by nature, that is by our very own DNA, you and I are children of wrath. The culture priests don't want you to recognize Jesus, the one man superior to it, because Jesus stands out as a man in his own divine class. When the son of man comes out, the culture stars are supposed to disappear. Jesus draws a clear line of demarcation, a clear line between those who are holy and those who are not holy. Think about it. How many times do you hear Jesus mentioned in the culture priest's sermon? You've heard their sermons. They play 24 hours a day, seven days a week on your local news stations and social media feeds. And we buy into them hook, line, and sinker. The culture priests don't want a stain remover to remove the uh, sin of this world. They would rather have you keep dabbing the sin spot in your heart with your own sacrificial dirty rags. That doesn't even make sense. So I, just like the writer of Hebrews, am trying to persuade you that the culture priests, as weak as they are, are terrible intercessors. Don't let their sacrifices speak for you. Stop believing their narrative. Put your trust in Jesus, our superior intercessor. So what, is this, what does one's life look like who has left the culture priests and placed their faith in Jesus? Dan hit on it again uh, in the beginning of the liturgy. And, and once again, I wanted to throw my other shoe at him. Um, but, but it looks like loving your neighbor as God and Jesus has loved you. Um, this, is all, this is all rocket science here. It looks like forgiving others as God and Jesus has forgiven you. It's abandoning the past wrongs scorecard and starting fresh each morning with new mercies. That's what it looks like. It's a life worth living that is not conformed to the patterns of this world that are guided by the local news feeds and social medias. Some of us, quite frankly, need to turn off our TVs. I mean, I get it. I get it. You want to stay informed. But God says that the Christian needs to be transformed by picking up your Bible and reading it. By allowing the scriptures to renew your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Non-believer and believer alike, I speak of a life in which you actually, <laughs> in which you actually believe the gospel. You actually believe the gospel. We all act in conformity with our beliefs. Specifically, the overarching testimony of scripture, which is that we are sinners in need of a savior, not that we are oppressors or oppressed peoples in need of government-enforced restorative justice. 
that you must turn away from your sin and turn towards Christ as your only hope of avoiding the wrath of the Almighty God. That you must daily put to death your own superiority complex. This sort of gospel has arms and legs to it. It is not just a word that the guy behind the pulpit speaks and then bids you farewell to continue doing the same sinful things that you did before you walked into this building. Take an honest inventory of your life. In what ways do you think that you are better than someone else? Because if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Brothers and sisters, believers and unbelievers, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Your choice is to put your trust in Jesus, our superior high priest, and reap the benefits of his cross justice on our behalf, or to reap the disaster of your own deeds eternally in hell. That's your choice today. I pray that the Lord gives us eyes to see Jesus Christ and his role as our superior intercessor and how his person and work on that cross speaks for you. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit convince us that Jesus is our superior intercessor. I pray that in doing this, this world and this nation will begin to heal from its self-inflicted wounds. That the knowledge of Jesus as our superior intercessor will cover the world as the water covers the sea. Lord, do your work. Be glorified in your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.